Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's film study. Seven weeks into the season. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm excited to talk about this game because it's hard to not come back with a life is good after the way the uh, Ravens trip out west went. Yeah, just a very big statement win in Seattle and uh, great to get out of there with a win. You know, it means a little bit less than some of the other AFC wins, but uh, boy, in terms of how they played against a good team, awfully exciting. Right, and that's what means something is a team that it was always a let's see next week, let's see next week. They got to prove themselves. They did a little proving this weekend. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yep. So our guest today is uh, Chris Aguilera, who uh, used to write for Purple Rain and Bleacher Report. Chris, how you doing? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I'm good. I mean, you've got a name I was able to pronounce, so I'm happy. <laughs> uh, through that, yeah, yeah. that's usually that's usually an easy one because with christina Aguilera, exactly exactly uh, a pop star when i uh was younger so i i got that name down so, uh chris tell us a little bit about yourself uh so basically i'm just a uh you know normal regular everyday fan uh sometimes i do dip into the uh you know analyzing of the game um i mostly try to just dip into the the nfl draft part of the game so like the x's and o's i leave it to guys like ken and then as far as like the draft and that's when i that's where i try to you know dip my toes in a little bit more very cool we'll have to have you on again around draft time chris that's uh that should be fun uh looking at this game this was a game where for the first time this year the ravens lost the snap count which is a little bit unexpected place to be I think it was 68-56. They lost the snap count in this one. So a minus 12 when they'd been plus almost 18 or maybe 18 exactly per game through the first six games. Uh, a little bit unusual thing, but they also lost two drives due to defensive scores. Lost, I'm using in air quotes. <laughs> uh, effectively, uh from last week to this week against the Bengals, they had that beautiful fourth quarter drive, which effectively sealed the game with the led to a long field goal. Same exact drive, pretty much in the fourth quarter this week, to put the game away and make it twenty-three to thirteen after it was already twenty to thirteen on the fourth and two touchdown by Lamar, where he just demanded to be on the field. Right. Yeah. That was that was a that was a thirteen play drive, right? 13 play, I think nine, I think it took nine minutes. Yeah. 13 play, nine minute drive. And that, that's, that's exactly what you want to see out of that team. It's just one of those grinding drives where they just enforce their will. And it's like the defenders, they just, they're tired of having uh, Boyle and, and then Andrews and, and uh, Ricard come at them all at the same time and just hit them. Yeah. I'd love to see hands on hips on the defense of that fourth quarter. Then, you know, they're really tired. Uh, you know, part of the story of the season, I think, so far, 
has been not only those great drives, but they've they've controlled the clock whenever they wanted to offensively. We're going to talk about the defense tonight and the way that this defense has been rebuilt very quickly and on the fly is really the story of the 2019 Ravens so far. And the two men who are really at the heart of that are DaCosta and Martindale. DaCosta obviously going out and scouting in some of this talent that's in the street-level pool and picking effectively rabbits out of a hat to get players like Bynes and Fort into the fold and Jihad Ward. And then Martindale being able to fold them seamlessly into his scheme and make use of these players and, and, and find their strengths as, as players and, and make use of those specifically. Yeah, I can't remember ever seeing something like this where they just inject basically two new linebackers into the middle of the defense, have a new safety who's playing 100% of the snaps, and the defense, not it doesn't lose a step, it gained two steps. That's, that's exactly better. Yeah. And I mean, it, just, it just seems it just, it seems safe now. It seems like everything is cohesive and it's not like like your like your heart is beating every time the defense is out on the field because you see them communicating. You don't see these everybody yelling at each other and hands like what am I supposed to do pre-snap? It it, it feels safe. Yeah, in in particular, I mean all three of those plays are, are players are critical. Clark Having the green dot, though, I think has been the biggest single factor to bring the defense together in terms of, of him communicating, but also him being able to play three positions. And the fact that he can come in and play dime or quarter, he can play back, he can play, he, he doesn't really do this anymore, but he could play the slot and play big nickel when they had two other safeties, they're good. But now, you know, basically they're free to play the quarter because they, with Clark having the green dot, they can substitute for both inside linebackers, they can take them off the field where you couldn't before when Peanut had the green dot helmet, and that meant that Peanut was a big liability in coverage all the time. You couldn't, right. you, you never you never got away from that. So uh, just what he's done for the players really not only has been his own play, which was terrific in this game, I thought, but it's also how they've gotten more out of those inside linebackers because of his flexibility. Right. We've also seen them bring uh, Earl Thomas down on some blitzes and leave him single high, which they were not able to do before with Tony Jefferson, like trusting him single high and, and you know, trust that he'll be able to cover the back end of the defense. But with Clark, you can do things like that. And you it's kind of, they could be more multiple in their looks with Clark there. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a really good point. And it's something, it, it has been a change. We, I'm hearing the question come up a lot. It may be in our mailbag already for, the, for the, uh, this week, Josh, but questions about whether or not, what this means for Tony Jefferson going forward in terms of Clark's value. Obviously, Thomas is signed. He's still in the first year of a four-year deal, and I, there, it would not be realistic that the Ravens would get rid of him after one year. It'd be a big charge if they did. But Jefferson's entering the fourth year of his deal, and that's the time when a player gets cut, of course, in the fourth year of a four-year deal when it, when it's really his entire current salary can be saved without any additional prorated, prorated bonus. So uh, anyway, uh, what do you think about how Clark's play may impact Tony's future? I mean, like you said, that that brings a big question this offseason about whether they'll they'll keep Jefferson or cut him. And I, I believe they it makes sense financially to probably cut him. Because I'm trying to pull it up now, but I think they'll be able to save about seven million dollars or four million dollars. I think it is if they do cut. It. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, yes, yeah, they will save. Four million dollars if they cut him. It's his base so, salary they would save. So it's a base salary seven is four million next year. Let me see. It's going to be 
No, no, I'm sorry. It was going to be seven million, and mm -hmm. it would be four million in dead cap. Okay, so that's just whatever prorated bonus he has left, and that's okay. They're, they're, that's that's sunk cost, but seven right. million is a big savings, and uh, and you know obviously that's some that's money they might need or might want to have to go out and get maybe a pass rusher or maybe somebody else who knows. Maybe or even pay. extend somebody. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is extend Humphrey, extend uh, uh, Stanley after this season. Okay, well, uh, that's great. I, those players are not the only ones who have improved the defense. Obviously, we, we're going to talk a little bit more about Bynes and Fort as we go through this show. But, you know, Maurice Kennedy was a guy that was on the practice squad. They kept him around on the practice squad. They're fortunate no one took him, but they had the confidence to stick him in there when it didn't really work out for Averitt. And he was great for three games before he got hurt. And then uh, he really didn't play that well against the Bengals with that injury. But uh, but I thought he played extremely well for three games. I could I'd make the argument that he was probably the Ravens' best cornerback over that period. Even with Humphrey making plays, Humphrey was also making some mistakes. And so I thought that that uh, Kennedy really played very well during that period. And and like you said, he was playing great up until the injury. And I think we saw him that that kind of rear its head in last week against Alden Tate, where mm -hmm. he didn't really have the confidence to drive off of that 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 hamstring injury that he had. Yes, yes, I I, uh, I agree that uh, that was a problem, and and honestly, it's it's the kind of thing that it will probably linger for some of the season. But I also think we get Kennedy back at some point. So the Ravens, I mean, you always face the prospect of more injuries at corner, but the Ravens have several players who might come back. Might get Jimmy Smith back this week. At some point, Eamon Marshall can start practicing and rejoin the team, and then they have the prospect of getting Kennedy back from from his current injury. And you know that's three potential contributors they could get back. I don't know how much or you know in what ways they're going to use them exactly, but uh, but it is some definitely some potential talent infusion still down the road at corner. Yeah, it's a, a good problem to have. Yeah, and at corner, uh, DeCosta always says cornerback is like pitcher. You got to just keep bringing guys along, and you know injuries will occur, and and when they do, you need to have more prospects. You know, uh, we had Board played one snap in this game. What do you think happens to Peanut when he's healthy at this point? That, that's interesting. That's going to be interesting to see. Um, I think they go to what I think what you brought up a lot when it was uh, the platoon that it, they had going on between Peanut and Young last year when Mosley was there, and mm -hmm. they had that little platoon going on. I think they could do that and maybe give maybe Bynes a little bit of a break and then, you know, put in, put peanut in next to Ford or even vice versa and just see which combination works best, which like what they can do with what, with who. Okay. I'd be interesting to see. They did a little bit of moving Fort to the mic on passing downs. So that's a, it's a possibility that way. I think if they, if they keep binds as a two down thumper have peanut and Fort split some snaps at the will with Fort then also moving over to play the play the mic if they're going to stay with the dime or to play or to be off the field if they if they replace him for the quarter. Right now, I've been very impressed with what we've seen from Fort in terms of his reaction time, particularly to running backs on the outside. We saw that stop he made on the pass for minus six on the, I think it was the second play of the game. But what made that play was the reaction time. Right. Yeah, I have it here. It was at the four, the first quarter. The way he recognized it, it was just. It was, it, there's just some people that just have a feel for the game. And you can tell he has that feel because before the running back is even peeling out, 
mm-hmm. he's taken that step back to pivot and make sure he can get to that spot where the where the um, where the running back is going to peel off to. Yeah, and it, it, was, it was just it was great to see. Saw saw the exact same thing. It's like he read the quarterback before the quarterback even fully turned his head to yeah. to do that. He knew where that where that ball was going. So it, uh, I was impressed by it as well. Uh, Jihad Ward, you know, has been an unbelievable <laughs> find, and and you know the the loss of McPhee is a disaster for this team. Uh, they'd overplayed him in terms of snaps. I think we'll all agree on that. But he, he, I hate to say this, he has 240 snaps this year. I figured him for 15 snaps per game. That's what I was really hoping the Ravens could get out of him for this year. He, unfortunately, 15 times 16 is 240. That's exactly what he ended up with. He just, four, he just moved them all up into the first seven games. So, yeah, uh, it's really unfortunate that they didn't have the depth or the flexibility to be able to, to kind of spell him the way that they probably wanted to because they probably thought, hey, maybe Bowser, maybe Williams, they'll take in some of those snaps. But as you can see, none of them really stepped up except for Bowser this game. I think he had a, a pretty good game. But um, other than that, it's like they've had to rely on him more than they thought they would. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have. And, and now, I mean, Ferguson was inactive for two games. They couldn't find a way to get him on the field. Now he's going to have to take a big role. And his snaps have been increasing pretty much every week. So I, I do expect he's going to get a trial by fire. And, and generally speaking, I think that's a very good thing for a rookie when you force him to develop a little quicker maybe than he's ready to at the position he was intended to play. So it's not good if you, you know, throw him into a position he's never played before like they did with Correa. But I think it is a good, it, it is a good thing when you force him to develop more quickly at the NFL level than he might otherwise be ready to do. I think generally you get value out of that. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think you saw a progression with him just within this game alone because there were a couple of times where he bit hard on the inside move and he wasn't disciplined with his eyes. But then towards the end of the game, you see him not making those same mistakes that he made in the first half where he's setting the edge and he's blowing up plays for you know four, five, six-yard losses. So I, I think we'll see a, a, a slow progression with him, and hopefully he'll be able to take that step within the season. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I mean, he's a guy who should be able to create that bubble on the edge that allows for good pursuit because he's got that good bull rush. And you figure if anyone can kind of two-gap that outside in the way that an edge edge player does, that it would be a guy with a top bull rush. And I, you know, it, some of that obviously came from the college game where you can bull rush anybody with strength and length, but but he's also he's he's should have the ability with his strength and his length to turn guys even offensive tackles in this league appropriately. Right. And I, do you think that they try to use him similar to how they they used uh McPhee because I saw in a couple of spots mm-hmm. where they even moved him into the inside and they had Bowser rushing on the outside and him on the inside. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what they would do with McPhee as well. So I just it, it seems like a good fit to to just you know replace him with McPhee, and to just do those those same those similar scheme styles that they did. So I just wanted to know what you feel about that going forward. Yeah, they have two guys now who can do that amazingly. After all that's happened, um, they had all three of those guys lined up in one race car package in this game. We'll talk a little bit later, but all three guys, McPhee. Ward and Ferguson were lined up in a three-point stance on the inside. So they still have two of those guys, obviously, and Ward, who came from Indianapolis, where he was really labeled as an interior defensive player, more of a five-tech defensive end, but he's really played outside linebacker for the Ravens with a few snaps on the inside on passing downs. 
And I think they'll use him more and more in that role. You know, he's obviously a very tall guy at six five and and a lot of uh you know ability to to use his use his length effectively. I think he's been very good. But but Ferguson is the other guy that would make sense. If if they want to continue to run the race car, they can still do it with with uh uh Judon and Bowser on the outside. I think that they've Judon is the only guy that really gives them a very good speed rush, and I don't really think they want to move him inside. He did, he has played there a little bit in the past, but I don't think it really makes sense to do it anymore. And Bowser, if whatever he's got is going to be more useful on the outside because he's a little bit smaller than the other three, so he's going to be more effective in terms of speed rush. So if I had to say, I think that's the way they'll they'll align their four pass rushers on the field. That doesn't mean Ferguson will still be rushing a lot from the outside, but I agree with you that he's more likely to be used inside as well. All right. Um, anybody else on the defense? I think we pretty much hit on everybody to this. I mean, I guess the one thing about the D about the two coordinators on this team is boy, they're getting the love around the league right now. Certainly Roman is for the offense. He's doing it, but Martindale is appropriately, you know, getting, if there was such an award, there probably is coordinator of the year viewpoints for what he's done to, to keep this defense running with all the loss of players and stars they had from last year. Uh, pretty good chance. I would have to think that they'll lose one of them to a head coaching job next year. Yeah, you would have to think so because uh, I believe there were reports last year that if the Ravens didn't promote Roman, he was gone mm -hmm. and someone was going to hire him. And, it just, you could say the same thing about Wink Martindale, where, you know, there were some teams probably sniffing around him, too, after having the number one defense last year. So if teams were doing that last year, they're going to be even more inclined to go after them this year again. Yeah, I, I would think so. First of all, it's just repeating the experiment a second time. So that's great. But what Martindale has done with this defense in terms of, you know, fitting the scheme to some fairly limited players in important roles it's just extraordinary so far. We'll see if they can still do this. Even the pass rush in this game, I looked at it and I said, it wasn't great in terms of only sacking him once. And it wasn't even a real traditional sack. It was kind of an escape outside the pocket for a sack for zero. So it wasn't like it was a big loss or anything. But what I did like about him is they knocked him down 10 times in the game. So right. they had eight quarterback hits. They had two others that were roughing the passer was called. One of them very ticky-tack, obviously. But but it was they meant they made him feel that pass rush in this game. Yeah, they did, and it, it was it was really fun to watch Brandon Williams in this game because yeah. he was getting after Russell Wilson, and he was causing the, that front fits in the run game and the pass game. It was really refreshing to see after we just we predominantly just see him in you know for the for, in the run game really. I mean, we really don't see him that much involved when it comes to the pass rush. But to, last week, I mean, last yesterday, he was just it was phenomenal to watch. Yeah, it was it was really something, and and I, one of them was late, but he had those quarterback hits on consecutive plays that were just crushing quarterback hits. And you know, anytime a three hundred and forty pound guy falls on a quarterback, it's going to be a crushing hit. But these both of these were really throw his body weight down on the quarterback uh, appropriately. <laughs> uh, yeah, hits. So let's let's talk about a little bit more about the pass rush since we seem to be there right now. We'll come back. We'll talk about the packages a little later. But as I scored it, the uh, Wilson had ample time and space on 22 of 42 throws, which is a lot. 52.4% uh, is higher than we've seen in today's game. That I, I, I keep referring to people, but it used to be 50% was the standard, and that's slowly shrunk into the low 40s. 
uh, in terms of what the Ravens have been have been getting and and uh, in terms of what they've been delivering to in terms of pass rush. So uh, at 52.4%, it was high. We just scored the offensive line tonight, and we noticed that the, the ample time and space seemed to be fairly regular for Jackson as well, maybe not quite as regular. But it might have been related to conditions that it was a little harder to get to Wilson quickly in this game. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a weird game because you didn't see a lot of, like you said, there there wasn't, you know, he wasn't under duress a lot, but when he was, they made it count and they made him feel that that weight and you know those hits kind of accumulated on him. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's not like they were constantly harassing him though. Mm-hmm. It was a strange it was strange to watch in real time and to see that they weren't really putting any pressure on him, but you could see like the. The, the clock in his head kind of not wanting to be hit again and not wanting to have to deal with that that pressure. Hmm. That's a good point. Um, you know, one of the things that really struck me about this game was the way Martindale kind of adapted his style to the results as the game went through. And sometimes a coach will wait all the way to halftime, and by then you may be down two touchdowns, and it may be more difficult to come back. But Martindale really changed on the fly uh, after about three drives in this game. And in fact, if you look at it, the Ravens gave up ample time and space on eight of the first 10 dropbacks for Wilson. I'm going to go back to this here, make sure I have my information in front of them. And on those plays, Wilson uh, threw, completed six of nine for 86 yards. They did actually have a sack in that one for zero. Uh, also had one quarterback hit, on, but that was on the eight-yard touchdown pass. So he had been effective early on, and Martindale said, well, we can't give him this much time to throw. The Ravens had only, during that time, used one blitz during those first 10 dropbacks, and they rushed six twice, but it was always a vanilla six, meaning they showed who was coming. They didn't, they didn't bring blitzes. They didn't scheme with stunts. They didn't have any stunts at that time. Uh, they didn't have any two-man drops. Uh, in fact, I think they only had one drop, period in those first 10 snaps. So it, it obviously was too vanilla. Part of that plan, obviously, or at least it seemed to me, was that they were trying to keep Wilson in the pocket and allow him to make his own mistakes from there. Right, yeah, it seems like there was a, a concerted effort to keep him in the pocket, like you said. And there's, I don't think there's a more dangerous quarterback in the league other than maybe Pat Mahomes, but that's debatable, that who's more dangerous outside of the pocket with his arm. Because mm-hmm. with one flick of the wrist, he's you know, throwing the bomb 60 yards behind your defense. And we've seen that time and time again. Yeah, it's, it's almost like with a mobile quarterback, they're so worried about him extending the play outside the pocket. And it can also run in those circumstances, too, that they forget that a guy like that is also very dangerous inside the pocket where, where he's allowed four and a half seconds to throw the ball. And, and if, so if you, you have to find some way to generate a little bit quicker pressure. And I thought that Martindale then made the necessary changes to get that done. So between his 11th and 34th pass play, so he had the first 10 was the one segment, then he had 24 passes in a row where the Ravens only allowed eight of 24 ample time and space. That's right what you want. Only give the quarterback a third ample time and space is an above average result. And they did it sometimes with numbers. They, they rushed five, six times, two six-man rushes and one seven-man rush. They tossed in six individual blitzers, which is still not a lot for 24 dropbacks, but at least it's something where it was one and 10 before then. One stunt in that group of plays. They knocked him on his ass six times during that stretch, which is a nice uh, little run for 24 passes. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you want to see. If if you can't get to the quarterback, at least make him feel it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, on those 24 plays, only 3.8 yards per play for uh, for Wilson. Uh, and that, of course, was a, seg- a series a sequence during which he threw the interception to Peters, which, frankly, I just loved that play. Peters baited him into it the whole way. What a what a freaking interception. It, it was a thing of beauty. It was I was watching the replay today and from the the instant replay angle they give, he actually turns his body as if he's going to run with the with the other receiver mm-hmm. to leave the, his um, his responsibility in the flat. And I think Wilson sees that, and then he could like kind of brings the ball back down, and then he just throws it because that was the last thing he saw was Peters trying to run up the field. But then you see Peters just stop, and it, he just makes a beeline for the ball, and it was it was very Reed esque. Yeah, I was just going to use that word. Damn it, you stole my <laughs> word. But that's that's exactly what it was. And you know, you've 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 probably heard us talking about this show about how. Peters is the greatest interceptor in NFL history, along with Reed. And he's the only guy. I mean, those two are so far head and shoulders above everybody else who has ever played this game in terms of their ability to intercept passes adjusted to the era that, you know, you it's he, Peters has had a relatively short career, but it's like he's hitting 450 in, in early June. And maybe with that interception, he's hitting 460 in early June now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's um. There's just some guys that they just have that that knack, and then he's you know he's one of those guys, those special guys that just has the knack for the ball. And someone that who uh, Michael Crawford, who we all know, mm-hmm. he brought up a name to me last week that's very similar to him, and it was Asante Samuel, another guy that had a nose for the football as well. And I, I see those similarities with him. Yeah, you know, I, one of our guests on the show said exactly that. I know it was, it was Garnett West, who was a great listener of the show, and he, and he contributed to a film study short, and he said, Asante Samuel, that's who he reminds me of. So That's a great one. Same kind of look into the backfield, uh, more comfortable playing off coverage, that soft press, but wants to keep his eyes on the quarterback and, and, and figure for the pick somehow. But, I, the, the, you know, we've seen the Reed interception against Peyton Manning. That's the one Manning always talks about where he turned the wrong way to go to a receiver and then immediately yeah. turns back to the receiver that Manning started. That's what it looked like in this case. He completely <laughs> baited him into that play. Let's talk about Peters for a second while we're on him because he had a great game here. Uh, the, the I have him as being targeted three times, no, no completions. It's the kind of game, though, that – if the ball had been caught by Jerron Brown at the goal line, which I believe was his responsibility, he kind of turned and was talking to Bynes about it after the play, but I believe it was his responsibility. If that ball had been caught, it would have been a different narrative during this couple of weeks about who Peters is. Certainly he would have had the interception return for a touchdown, but he'd have also had the boomer bust angle in, in this game, giving up a touchdown on a very difficult to cover crossing route, by the way. Uh, to Brown, but fortunately Brown dropped the ball, and people have forgotten about the fact that Peters let him get open. Yeah, it, it's kind of—I mean, you never know for sure, but it seemed like he was trying—he was going to drop back in zone, mm-hmm. and then when he saw everyone else in man, it was kind of too late, and he had kind of tried to make a beeline for for um, was it more? Jerron Brown. Oh, Jerron Brown. It was Jerron Brown. Uh, so he kind of make a make a beeline to him when he realized, oh no, we're in man, and then I think. I, the reason I think he dropped that ball was probably because of Josh Bynes coming in because Josh Bynes was coming in with his hair on fire when he saw the ball just lofting mm. up. 
and Bynes, I mean, not Bynes, I'm sorry, Brown. and Jerron Brown kind of, I think he, he saw Bynes coming at him, and that might have distracted him for a second. You never know for sure, but that's just what it looked like. Huh. That's good. I, I hadn't thought about alligator arms being an issue there, but you're right. I mean, it's a bigger player certainly coming at you. Uh, just it, you could tell, and I, you can't you can't see much of it, but you can see Peters with his uh, his hands spread and up up facing, as in what's up here, talking to Bynes after the play. So he's he's plucked back in the in the other direction, and in in reviewing film with the Rams, that would happen from time to time, where he's after the play, he's talking to another player. Players really don't like that being done on the field to them, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. They don't want to be shown up. But it looked like the, he he was communicating with Bynes after that play and uh, and, and did it. And the, in, the, in the back of the end zone then, obviously, the, the, the throw to Lockett, I thought he had terrific coverage. It was right under the goalposts and overthrown because, basically, Peters was so tight in coverage. And Lockett did end up catching that ball well out of bounds. I don't think he got either foot in, but... Uh, you know, it was Peter's coverage that, in, in my opinion, made that play and made Wilson basically throw it too perfect and out of bounds. All right. We, we continue on with that. Uh, to finish all this stuff, I want to say about the pass rush, because just a fantastic first game for Peters. Um, they didn't have much in the way of deceptive elements the entire game. They did have three deceptive uh, blitzes the entire time. That Those are ones that have at least two elements of two-man dropbacks or a blitz or a stunt. Uh, but that was it, and that's not very much. Uh, and I thought that they uh, they did a good job with the pass rush for for the for the resources they allocated to it. Yeah, I mean, they like you said, Martindale. He's just he's doing a great job of just you know scheming this this whole defense up and trying to create pressure any way he can. All right, um, you know one of the things that upset me about the game. I want to ask your opinion on, but. There were two roughing the passer penalties in this game. The first one was on Fort, and I thought was just complete fiction. You know, he, he didn't hit him late. He didn't hit him high. He didn't hit him low. Uh, I, do you want to have a time reference here so you can take a look at it? I, I think I have it. Was that the okay. second quarter at uh, 11? Sounds about right. Uh, let me let me confirm on here. Yep, 11.06, second quarter. 11.06. Yeah, okay. that one was just, I don't even, like, there's some way you can give the benefit of the doubt and you can say, okay, maybe it was low. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but this one, it was just like textbook hit, wasn't late, didn't drive him into the ground. Mm-hmm. It was right at his, right at his waist. I, I don't understand what, like, what they were looking at there. Right. And didn't, didn't hit him high, didn't accidentally contact his helmet or put his helmet into his helmet or do any or spear him. That would be another way to get it. it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't explained, but it wasn't any of those things. And I, I thought that's it was a terrible call. But I, I, let's look at this from the league's perspective for a second. They want to if they want to protect Jackson and Mahomes and Brady and a few other top end quarterbacks and say that, you know, these guys need need special treatment of some sort, or maybe we want to allow each team to declare whether their quarterback gets this kind of treatment or not. And your immediate reaction is, well, of course we want the special treatment. But another possibility is, but then you should really have in the grasp be called sooner if you choose to have your game called about this way. And that's where this just frustrates the hell out of me is they have three guys twisting Wilson to the ground later. And it was the the play where Luke Wilson had the holding call and 
the Ravens had three guys on top of him, and he almost got his knee all the way to the ground. I mean, it's very close to whether he actually got rid of the ball before his right knee got on the ground. But then he right. pitches it back to Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson runs for six positive yards. So the Ravens had to accept that instead of taking the sack on the play, which would have been really nice. And then that's the play where also I got kind of scared because Marlon Humphrey was kind of grabbing his shoulder at the end of that play. Huh. So there, there was... There was so much going on in that play that didn't even have to go on. Like, if they just call that play dead, then, and then Wilson doesn't catch the... Uh, Luke Wilson doesn't catch the ball and run, and then Marlon Humphrey doesn't have to put his body on the line for a mm-hmm. play that doesn't even count. Right. I mean, part of it is, if you, if you know the in-the-grasp will be called early on that play, then the quarterback can do everybody a favor by going down easier himself. So it, it won't be in his DNA initial, but believe me, by the end of his career, Peyton Manning knew how to go down the pile really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you see a guy come down. I'm sorry. And that's something that we see uh, Kyler Murray do a lot of. Is he's he's not taking any big hits. Mm-hmm. He's going down right away. He doesn't want any part of those big hits. There's no ego with him there. Yeah, that's that's good to see in a young quarterback. Actually, it's a, a, a spe- he'll. He probably has better longevity characteristics than Lamar does, given you know what he. Even though they're they're similar in a lot of ways, uh, you know, being running quarterbacks who like to get outside the pocket, like to extend plays. But uh, but boy, uh, all right. So anyway, we're, we're 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 I think we're both frustrated about that one. We ready to move on to packages? Want to talk about packages a little bit? Let's let's do it. All right. So. What we usually do at this point in the show is talk about about what they what they play during this game, and this is an interesting interesting game for Wink because he had to adapt on the fly to the loss of McPhee. So we'll go through this basically. The Ravens, the base defense, we've talked about this for for weeks now, is basically dead. They played it four times in this game, and their total number of times they've played the base package of the whole season. I can get you in a, in a moment or two, but it's not that many for the entire season. They have played the base package only twenty nine times with having four defensive backs on the field. So that ain't much for seven games. It's less than, what, four times per game they're playing it, roughly. Uh, in this game, it's four, four play, 4.0 yards per play in, on four plays. The standard nickel, which is really the base defense now in the NFL against 311 personnel, meaning 11 personnel, uh, they played that 42 times. They didn't have any of the, of the oddball nickels. They didn't play any of the jumbo nickel, which is the 335 nickel where they only play one inside linebacker. And they didn't do any of the of the um, the three safety nickel, the big nickel, which they've been doing to stop running teams. That's one I thought they might have used in this game against Seattle. And for for the big nickel, who do you think they would use in that personnel now that they don't have the same guys that they that they've you know been using in those roles before? Yeah, that's a because great point. The big nickel weren't they? Weren't they bringing in uh, Clark before before the Jefferson injury? Yeah, it's it's a great point. So they'd have to do something probably with Bennett Jackson. I don't think we're still at a point where Levine is going to move to the back end. Levine himself has played big nickel a fair amount in the past, but it seems like an unnecessary risk to take with him. He's not the greatest run defender certainly anymore, but he played a little bit. Buffalo played a game I think in 2016 at home. Uh, on the opener against the Ravens, not the one that went 47 to three, but the previous one where they beat them, I don't know, might've been 16 to three, 16 to seven, something like that. That game, we saw a lot of big nickel from Levine, but, uh, but I would agree that, that they they really don't have necessarily the personnel to do it without Clark being the guy, unless they're going to move Bennett Jackson to the back end. Well, we might see that. Yeah. Cause he, 
didn't he play on the black back end for one, yeah. one snap? I think it was. Yeah, got his NFL debut. We can talk about that now if you want. So that that was the half dollar, and that may be half dollar. Eight defensive backs on the field and a three man pass rush. Okay. It may be the first time in Ravens history they've ever used that play. It also happened to be the first snap of Bennett Jackson's career. Okay. Bennett Jackson, he only played that one snap. He was drafted on May 10th, 2014. 1989 days later, he plays his first <laughs> NFL snap. Wow. <laughs> and it's the first That's- ever half dollar in Ravens history, maybe. I need to look that up. It's about a two-hour project for later this week. That's some perseverance for you right there. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Anyway, look to me. I mean, he had two special teams tackles. He looked good. He's, of course, looked good in the preseason. We've always liked him. It's just you, you know, there's never been a roster spot for him. Uh, they kept six safeties this year. If they're ever going to do it, they do that. But they had other guys, They, they you know, like Trawick, they had to keep, who who could be helping the Ravens right now if he were active. But, uh, but I think Bennett Jackson could play the back end potentially and allow Clark to do some other things on the front end that uh, that he had been doing before. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if they try to incorporate him more as the season progresses and they, you know, he sh- they see more from him in practice. All right, so they played uh, everything pretty much worked defensive-wise. By the way, the standard nickel, they allowed 4.9 yards per play. And the dime, they allowed 4.9 yards per play. Another 17 snaps of dime. Now, they do have two different variations they played in this game. They played the normal three safety dime with Levine on 15 snaps. And that's the one they bring in on third down anyway, most of the time. And they have Levine lined up at inside linebacker. And and it's the one we've come to know and love over, over years. But the, the other one they play is a four corner dime. And they did that in this game with Averett uh, a couple of times, two times where they added Averett effectively to the standard nickel and took out a second inside linebacker to do that. And I don't, I believe one time the Ravens had, they might have been facing 10 personnel, so just one running back and four wide receivers. And that that's the kind of spot where you prefer to have that fourth corner on the field as opposed to a third safety. Right. And on, on those plays, um, who were they leaving in at linebacker? Was it, was it four? In the, that's a good question. I'll, hold on, I'll check that for you right now. So on the dime snaps, and we're talking about specifically the Averett dime. So the four. Yeah, the Averett dime. Okay, so we'll go. Let's see, Seattle game. We'll take a moment. Josh always reminds me that we have listeners who don't like to be held up here, but they're going <laughs> to wait just a second for this. So let's go. We got an Averett quarter, quarter, quarter. Oh, these are all these are quarters, right? The Averett dime. There's an Averett. There's Averett dime here. There's one. Um, it was Bynes one time. And here's another. And this one was Bynes also. So it looks like they, they left Bynes in the two times okay. they did it. Okay. So uh, and they used, a, you know, the other, the other thing they did is they played quarter and they played four, a four corner quarter, which is atypical. Usually it's a fourth safety. At least it has been in Ravens history and in this year that they bring in, but they used a four corner uh, quarter in this. And they, that was the rest of Averitt's snaps uh, in this game. So he played 10 total snaps uh, among those. So obviously in the quarter, they both inside linebackers are out of the game. So right. maybe, maybe not obviously, but, but that's the way it is. <laughs> um, uh, I think that covers it pretty much for packages. The only, the only package that didn't really work the quarter, they gave up a 37 yard pass play 
Averitt did to Metcalf. That was the one fairly far down the left sideline. Uh, Metcalf, very physical with receivers. This is one thing I didn't like about the way the game was called is I didn't think they were uh, on the offensive pass interference enough. And Metcalf was on the face mask of, of uh, Averitt one time. I think it was Averitt. Anyway, yeah, I think and, it was that same play. That was the 37? I, I think okay. it was where he just I, – I think where Averitt tried to get physical with him and then Metcalf just like – mushed him right in the face Mm -hmm. yeah i I can see why everybody wanted metcalf in the drive or a lot of people in the in the um draft but i can also see all of that combine measurable value not being well translated to the field too you know the 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 drop on on the first drive which ended them on third down we we really should have caught that ball then and and by the way that was another place where Metcalf got very physical and pushed the corner by the play. That might not have been uh, Averitt, but he pushed the corner by, by the play. Uh, I thought it should have been called for OPI. And then, and then uh, he, of course, switched hands and he lost the football. Wet football, I get it. There's, there's problems holding onto the ball, but Metcalf uh, you know, has things that are outside of common, uh, combine measurables that are not good about his play. It looks big and awkward to me, not just fast and athletic. And I think you could see that with the way the corners were playing him because they were really pinning him to the side of the of the sideline. They were really pinning him against there and letting the sideline help them to actually cover him because they mm-hmm. knew he wasn't going to be running, you know, a, a wide variety of routes, like cutting in, breaking in. It was mostly going to be go routes or comebacks. That they, so they did a good job of using the sideline to help them out. And so you you got to your draft guy, and there are two guys in this draft playing in this game, obviously, both with outstanding combine measurable numbers with him and Boykin. And in terms of their development as receivers, where do you think those guys are right now relatively? Well, right now with Metcalf, I think I think the Seattle was the perfect landing spot for him because they're not asking him to run the same routes that that um they would ask Tyler Lockett to run. Mm-hmm. They're using him in the vertical game. They're using him for comeback. So they're keeping things very simple for him. They know his strengths. They know he isn't a guy that's going to be, you know, running the kind of Marquise Brown routes that we've been seeing where, you know, he's very intricate in his route tree and he's, you know, breaking them off and cutting them at, you know, at precise spots. He's, like you said, he's a bit clunky. He's a linear athlete, so there isn't going to be a lot of zigzagging with him. But I, I, I think he's had a good good rookie season for the most part. And then with Miles Boykin, Boykin uh, we've seen some, I don't want to say, I don't want to say confidence issues, but there's times where he can flash his hands just a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and make those tough catches that he made in, at Notre Dame because at Notre Dame, he was, it was like suction cups on his hands. And uh, so far in the pros, He's had some good catches here and there, like the one that he had uh, the touchdown with a couple weeks ago, that where he had to go outside of his body and you know really kind of lunge at the ball. Mm-hmm. He made a great catch there, and then we saw the fifty-yard bomb for this catch where he made the great adjustment, mm-hmm. falling falling backwards. So you know those are the kind of catches that we have to see him make consistently. And um, also, I think the I think the coaching staff should probably give him a bit more snaps too. Um, I, I think he could take some snaps away from from uh, Seth Roberts as well. Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, you, you, you definitely want to promote the 
better physical specimen and the guy you have for longer. So Roberts, I guess Roberts assigned to a two-year deal, if I recall correctly, and not a one-year deal. But in either case, they have Boykin for four. And they really want to make sure his development is not in any way hindered by a short-term player like Roberts, uh, if if possible, within the scheme of you got to win now, obviously, you know, has to fit in there too. Right. And I see it here that he had, that Chris Moore had 33 snaps and mm-hmm. he had 32. So it's like, who who do you want to give more snaps to, Boykin or Chris Moore? Right. I, I mean, I love Chris Moore. I love what he's done for the Ravens, but he's in the fourth year and he's in his walk year. And right. you know, I, obviously I agree with you that, that it would make more sense. I feel bad for Chris Moore because I don't feel like he's gotten the opportunity he deserved out of last season. You know, he was a great bad ball catcher last year. And from the way I saw it, I was like, Lamar really needs someone like that to uh, to do this. We're, we're straying into a lot of offense talk and we should get back <laughs> to the defense. But but anyway, I, d- I don't feel like Moore has gotten the chance. And maybe there's another team out there that can figure out how to work him in better because he's a good run blocker. He's given us he's given he's given the Ravens some of that. And when he's been asked to catch the ball, he's usually good at catching a ball that's outside of his frame, not well thrown. And and he can get get to it. Yeah, I don't. I think a lot of fans they they run away with that uh, he has bad hands narrative, mm-hmm. but it's if you if you drop one pass in a big spot that creates a whole narrative for your game, and mm-hmm. that's not that's not his game. He's showed in college and the pros he can make tough catches, but this narrative that he can't catch is just a false one. Yeah, I, I like. I think it happens on both sides of the ball. I know it happens with offensive linemen because people don't generally <laughs> study offensive linemen, but they become very polarized. Either the guy's the greatest thing he's ever been or he's terrible and he gets pushed back into the quarterback every play. And there's a whole bunch of guys that are in the middle, obviously, because, you know, you know, there's a range of ability in terms of these things. And, yeah, it's very hard to keep up with. I did see that. It's all right. We see we see that a lot with Brandon Carr, where for whatever reason, I don't know why people think Brandon Carr isn't good. And it's just is mind boggling when you watch the games and it's like you think he's not good. Mm-hmm. Because he, he allowed a catch or two here and there. Like, Brandon Carr is a solid, solid player. Yeah. He's, he's been just such a great acquisition for this team. And, you know, it, his contract's really structured like a series of one-year options where they're effectively playing right around $6 million per year for each of the four years. And the Ravens basically get to decide each year if they're going to cut him. And he's entering the last year of his contract. And most guys are almost an automatic cut at that point. But not him. I mean, he's he's no. still his option still has value right now for for 2020. Yep, and he he's just he's added more value with his versatility now because when he came mm-hmm. in, he was just an outside corner. Now they line him up at safety. They line him up at slot corner. They line him up outside. So it's like he has so much value for this defense specifically now too. So it's what's he making? Six million, seven million? Yeah, about that. And I think next year it's it's less than that. You could look it up on Brian's uh, Brian McFarland's uh, site there to see what the contract details are. But I think his base salary is is probably under that next year. I don't think it's as high as six million. So they get a slight break next year, if I recall correctly. And it's been a while since I've looked at it. By the way, if you're not looking at at Ravens salary cap, great follow online or Brian McFarland stuff. If you can, if you can find that, uh, uh, you know the the uh, his list of contract details, very well done, very well laid out, uh, and and he's really the expert locally on all salary cap and personnel issues in terms of how they work out contract wise. So I always I always ask him about such rules and whatnot when things come up like. 
are the Ravens allowed to re-sign Bethel as soon as they cut him? And in fact, they're not allowed to re-sign Bethel. They'll lose the cop pick again if they if they bring him back. He's a, he's a wizard with this stuff. You could ask him the most obscure cap question, and he'll get it to you. Now, very 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 knows the nuances of the of the cap rules. I did want to before we completely lose the leave the package thing. I did want to get back and talk about the race car package for for just a little bit. But they they played. Uh, an all-outside linebacker pass rush in some odd situations. They did it four plays in this game. And historically, in 2018, they played the first six times they'd ever played the race car package. And they got, I'll say it again, sack, interception, sack, run for zero, sack for zero, incomplete pass. No positive gains, three sacks, one interception, in six usage of it. And then they mothballed it for the year after three games. Okay. Then they brought it back. Or they've had all kinds of problems, obviously, with the interior pass rush in this season. And they finally brought it back last week with some fives and some fours totaling 15 race car package usages. That's six in team history and then 15 in last week. And those 15, during that stretch, they had no defensive linemen on the field for 10 consecutive plays in that fourth quarter, which is unthinkable in, in my mind. But it's, it was a the most effective way to get after Dalton in that particular situation. And and that just speaks on Wink Martindale's creativity and, you know, the lengths he's willing to go through and the creativity he has in order to, you know, produce that, that you know, pass rush that, that really isn't there. He's he's coming up with ways to do it, and it, it just shows. And he's, he's been, like, one of the most valuable parts of this team, this whole team. Yeah, could, couldn't agree more. I mean, he's been he's been so good. What was interesting this game to me is they played the race car package twice on unusual down and distances. So they've been they've been playing at third and long, no problem. Or they're playing it in game situations where they just want to keep the same defense on the field because they're up a couple touchdowns late and the team has to pass. But in this situation, they brought it on for a second and one, and they brought it on for a third and one. And you think about that, and th- those are. Fairly obvious running situations, I think we'd agree, where, where yeah. particularly on third and one, the other team's going to want to play power football and get the first down. Effectively, Martindale conceded those two third downs to the to the uh, uh, Seahawks and, and almost forced them to run the ball by putting that package in. And and Carson ran for nine and five yards to get the first downs on those two in those two particular cases. But I just thought strategically that was so fascinating. To, to see them decide to give up those first downs by putting that package on the field. Yeah, especially when you take into account, you know, the two run stuffers that they have and you take them mm-hmm. off the field for those, you know, short yarded situations. It's, it's really strange when, when you look at it. Yeah, particularly the third and one. It is very strange to not to not see, you know, the jumbos on the field. And, and they've got two of the best in the league at Pearson Williams. You can still play the nickel. I think of third and one, they lined up in 10 personnel, if I recall correctly. So they had four four wide receivers on the field. They were spread out. So you got Carson, you got five offensive linemen, you got Wilson in the backfield. There's a chance for some sort of misdirection or, or, or read option, obviously, that could beat them. But you got to think, you probably do pretty well to start by pushing the middle. And it's the worst offensive line I've ever seen Seattle field. And that's really saying something. They didn't have Dwayne Brown. They have a bunch of guys who are below the line to start with. They're injured, tons of injuries. But to not do that, to not take a chance on third and one, second and one, they really 
had to think about that before the game to know how they're going to react to some of these situations. Yeah, I agree. It's, it, I mean, hopefully going forward, they don't keep doing that <laughs> because we don't want to see, you know, that, that package out there on our short yarded situation. So hopefully going forward, they, they correct that. Yeah. All right. Well, the third, uh, yeah, the third, no, no, that's another play. Okay. We've, we'll, we've talked through enough about the packages. I think, uh, what do we want to talk about? Some individual players now? You have anybody you want to bring up? I'll let you go first. I, we usually kind of alternate here on on performances we'd like to discuss. Um, I want to bring up LJ Fort because he just had he had a great game. I mean, he was all over the field, and it was it was just it was refreshing to see because you know we team has been lost at that linebacker mm-hmm. this whole season, and when you see someone that's actually you know reading and reacting and taking away those those dump-off plays and the flat that killed us against the Chiefs. It, it's really refreshing to see. And it makes you wonder, like, why was a guy like this not – like, why didn't he not have a job? Cause yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And yet it's also amazing, I think, that the Ravens were able to identify that and say, that's a guy we want who doesn't have a job. I mean, how would they know? You guys – He's played eight years in the NFL, and he's hardly played defensively. He's played like half a season defensively in eight NFL seasons. And now he comes here, and he's playing, you know, more than half the snaps. And, you know, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, he, he might be the starter going forward. Who knows? He's got it, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, no, I saw a lot of um, – because I, I follow a lot of Steelers fans as well, just which is a weird thing. But they were – like throughout the whole offseason, they were saying that they have to bring back LJ Fort. They have to bring back LJ Fort. And then they didn't bring him back, and a lot of them were upset. And then a lot of uh, Eagles fans were upset when they released him, too. So it's like this guy's been playing well for your, for two teams. And then he was just out of a job, and now he comes into the Ravens and, you know, is one of the unsung heroes of the defense now. Yeah, and, and in the last three weeks, he played zero defensive snaps his first week, was just in for special teams. And I thought maybe that's what they got him for because, you know, you suffer, you lose Trawick and you have other people you're missing. You, you want another guy who could be a core special teamer. 24 snaps the second week, 54 snaps the third week. And, again, these are snaps without penalties, kneels, spikes, et cetera. So these, these are lower than other published sources, but they still are, are uh, you know, relevant in terms of relative numbers. So – just surprises the hell out of me that he can force his way into the defense effectively to that amount. I mean, I, I, this is why I'm, I'm really wondering just how they'll use Peanut when he comes back because somebody's going to lose some snaps. And it might be Peanut. It might be Bynes a little bit. It might be Ford himself will lose some snaps. But it's be interesting to see how they play it. And, and one of my favorite plays of the game was, you know, outside of the pick six and the fumble mm-hmm. recovery was his open field tackle on Russell Wilson because it was just him and Russell one-on-one in the open field and he took him down. I think it was uh, the first quarter, uh, minute three, it was 308 in the mm-hmm. first quarter. And uh, it's just open space. And those are one-on-ones that you see Russell Wilson just defeat easily. Yeah. And it was just a textbook form tackle for no gain at all. Yeah. So it's on that place, a sack actually, but, but uh, it's a rare case where Fort was not a pass rusher. But he, he he is entitled to then go after the quarterback when he leaves the pocket because that's the rule. Uh, you know you have to have one guy go after the quarterback when he when he rolls out. So he he went after him and he still had the control 
to take him down in the open field, which is, you know, as you would say, just remarkable that he's able to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh Bynes, I think, deserves a, a lot of credit on along the same lines in this game. I mean, he, he did an awful lot of things well in this game. Uh, he had eight tackles to lead the team. Uh, he, what he's done for the run defense, I love. You know, he didn't have a big play uh, on a pass play behind him. He did have it. Maybe, maybe he did because you pointed out earlier he was really in the neighborhood hair on fire when Jerron Brown dropped the ball at the goal line. But the, the previous two weeks he had interception where he read the quarterback and a tip where he where he he knocked the quarterback to not, sorry knocked the ball to Humphrey for the interception. Right. Yeah. He also had a great game. He was. I, like I said, these guys are just, you know, off the street and coming in and making a, a huge, huge impact on the defense. It's like I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, very exciting. We talked a little bit about Brandon Williams earlier, those pair of crushing quarterback hits he had. Uh, that begins in the third quarter at 13-14 if you want to go look at the film yourself. Uh, just the fact that the Seahawks were held to 3.9 yards per rush play when he was in is very good. I mean, the Seahawks have one of the top rush games in the league, not quite the Ravens, but they might be number two or three uh, right now in the whole NFL. And to get, you know, 71 yards on 18 plays while he was in there, that really speaks volumes. It does. It was, it was great to see him have one of these kind of games because, you know, you, you always hear that talk of his contract is too high and he's mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, uh, he's just a two down defender, but, this on this game we saw him you know really get after it like we we haven't seen him in a long time all right the last guy i want to make sure we hit on is chuck clark who i thought really was outstanding in this game played all 68 snaps he was a signal caller and um he had four targets as i saw it he had a, a pass defense in solo coverage that was on locket it was down the left sideline midway through q2 um, that was very similar because it was almost the exact same distance, little different receiver, uh, that the tight end Hollister in quarter three, he didn't knock the ball away, but he was right in his hip pocket, same kind of way. And, and the ball, uh, sailed over incomplete. He had gave up two pass plays for six and five yards, neither with any yak. So it's, it's 11 yards and zero yak on his, on his four targets, just a wonderful game. Uh, he did miss a tackle early on in the game, uh, you know, that, that didn't end up being too costly, three or four yards additional after the missed tackle. But, uh, you know, safety's missed tackles. I don't get on them too much for that. But you just you got to hold that rate down as low as you can. Linebackers that miss a lot of tackles, particularly inside linebackers, that's a really bad thing. Yeah, that's something we saw earlier this season with the linebackers missing some tackles and then turning into really, really huge games. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about Clark. How about we talk defensive MVPs for this, and we'll do a little mailbag time because I think Josh has been waiting on that. And we've been just enjoying our conversation here. Do you want to play defensive MVPs with me, or do you want to? Do you have anybody different you want to say going three to one? I'll have. A, I'll follow your lead. Okay. So my number three guy is Brandon Williams, who I, you know had a couple quarterback hits in a row. Good job in the run. You don't have to pick somebody different if you. <laughs> Oh, uh, I would go with Brandon Carr because okay. he was like I like I said he's his versatility is just and you can see it every snap it's like where's Brandon Carr oh he's on the outside now oh he's on the inside oh he's lining up on in the you know at safety now so it's 
it, his versatility is is really invaluable. What what he brings to this defense. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't really even have him on my honorable mention list, but I probably should have. My number two, Chuck Clark. I really debated on whether he should have been number one based on all he did during this game, but he's my number two guy. Yeah, my number two guy would be Chuck Clark as well. Um, like I said, he's it, it's you don't want to see a guy get hurt like Tony Jefferson, mm-hmm. but you you can see the you know the the play get better at that that other safety spot with Chuck Clark in there. Yeah, supposedly the smartest guy in the room. That's that's definitely a guy you want to keep as a signal caller if you can, if you can figure out how it works next year. Uh, number one guy, I, I doubt there's any doubt about this. Marcus Peters, what a debut. Uh, I'm going to go with Marlon Humphrey just because he had that that game-winning play, essentially, that game-sealing play. But not for his play, but just for him battling back and that's a common theme that we've seen with him where he struggles like where he'll have a struggle mm-hmm. and then he comes back like he did with the juju play he goes to punch the ball doesn't get it out juju runs in for the touchdown he comes back later on in the game punches it out for a touchdown this game he could have had you know his confidence shot because you know he had a touchdown scored on him but he came back in the second half and he really played well against Tyler Lockett and then also so have the you have it in mind to get his feet in bounds to make sure that he's eligible eligible to touch the ball and run it back for the touchdown. That was huge. Yeah, how cool was that? One of the one of the players who kind of went unknown on that, it looked like Thomas came in, second man of the ball, and flipped the ball with his hand downfield and kept it in bounds. So if you take a look at the play again, you don't have to do it right now, but but he but it appears he he might have had a hand literally in keeping that ball in in bounds down that right sideline and then you know giving Humphrey a chance to go scoop it. But boy, Humphrey, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. Another unsung hero on the same play is Brandon Carr too, because mm-hmm. DK tries to get back to get the ball, and you just see uh, credit to Matt Wise. He's the one who brought this up on Twitter. Um, you just see Brandon Carr almost do a chokehold on DK Metcalf to make sure he does not get up to get the ball and someone else like Marlon Humphrey can get it and scoop and score. Yeah, I agree. Completely wrestled him off that ball. Uh, Maureen made the same comment when we were watching the tape last night. So uh, it was it was very good. And I mean, you think about it. Metcalf is not someone you'd want to get in a street fight with. No, that's for sure. Not at all. Carr is a much smaller man, not not enormously physical. So that's a that's a good win there. And and Humphrey boy. I don't know what it is about the guy, but he, he kind of reminds me of Tavon last year and his ability to always get a clean bounce of the football to scoop it. I just it's it's uh you know two games in a row now he's been fairly far away from the play. Other people are all messing around, the ball's flying loose, and he just pick, comes up and picks it picks it up on a clean bounce twice in a row. So, all right, fantastic. Loved having you here, Chris. We're going to talk, take a few mailbag questions now. How are we doing, Josh? All right. All good. It looks like uh, just like the Ravens' defense is all on the same page, a lot of our listeners are as well. As I think every question we got in uh, at least two times. Uh, you guys already talked a lot about Fort and Peanut and how that affects things. Did you want to add anything else to that, or you think you did got out everything? Like we're talking about how, how the lineup going forward when Peanut is healthy. Right. How do, you, how do you fit Peanut on the field? I mean, I, I think I kind of agree with, uh, with with some of the things Chris brought up early, that Peanuts probably will go back to the wheel roll, and he'll play that some snaps, but not all snaps, maybe a, maybe in a platoon role like last year. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I, th- I think it, would be, it, it wouldn't be it would be smart to just 
you know, have Peanut go back to his normal normal amount of snaps with these guys playing at such a high level. You have to kind of just mix them in and, and pick your spots at where you want to use them. It's almost like you got to get him up to speed now because it seems like it's a completely different defense than when he went down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point. All right, Spencer is wondering, well, he's asking if Bethel was going to be cut soon. We know the answer to that is yes, he was cut this afternoon. Um, who is, will take his spot? How will the Ravens handle that? On special teams? Yes. It's, I guess, guess that's what he's asking. Uh, I, he may be just asking on the 53 who takes it because they cut a guy from the 53 and they cut a guy from the practice squad right. today. And I don't honestly know who they're planning to bring in. Obviously, it's a little surprising to me that they cut Bethel early because it's the bye week. They've got him for at least, I believe, two more games after this. He can play. I know he can play week eight and week nine. He may be able to play week 10 and be cut after. I'm not sure what the rule is, but he, I know he can play for two more games, and they, they're saying he's not going to. All right. I, I, I wonder if it maybe I wonder if it maybe has to do with uh, maybe like a trade brewing in the works, and they might want to you know have that comp pick in their back pocket just so they can use one of their draft picks in order to make a move. That's just yeah. speculation. Well, I think you're right that they want the, they want the draft capital. They can't trade that comp pick specifically until it's actually awarded. What they can do is they can say, we'll give you a fourth round pick of our choosing from our pool. um, And then they might have to move up and give away a third round pick if they don't have one kind of thing. Uh, But but anyway, they can structure a trade with future draft compensation like that, but, but they can't actually trade it until, until they get it awarded to them. But they, they, they still have the fourth round draft draft pick awarded if they wait two more weeks to cut Bethel. So I think it's almost like a nice thing they're doing for him to help him find a new home on the on the bye week. So I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I get the sense the Ravens did something nice for Bethel here. He obviously is getting paid early. He walks with all his – if he wants to retire from the NFL, he could do it right now, take termination pay. If he doesn't do that, then he could, uh, he could try and find another job, and I'm sure they'd be takers. Yeah, and that's how I saw it as well because Harbaugh was very uh, – spoke very well of him today and how it was clearly just for the comp pick. So it makes sense with the bye week – for one, uh, DeCosta will be busy, hopefully, on the phone this week, and it's nice to know you've got an open slot. And then, of course, let him find home. Seems to make sense. All right, uh, Nicholas is wondering how likely Marcus Peters uh, is to get his contract, I guess, extended and stay here next year. It's a complex question because a lot of things have to be answered. Peters is a great player. I'd love for the Ravens to try and lock him up long term. But it's going to probably send the wrong message if they extend him and they extend Stanley maybe and it becomes clear they don't have they don't have the money for Humphrey. So I don't, I don't know exactly how they're going to play it in, in terms of this. I'd love to love to see if they can find the way to sign Peters, but I think it's more likely that Peters is a 10-game rental and ends up walking. I mean, I'd like to see if they, they would maybe have the flexibility to maybe have both cornerbacks. Because, you know, with Lamar on his, you know, rookie deal and then all the dead money pretty much from Flacco coming off the books, they might be able to 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 sign, resign uh, Marcus Peters, but then also have the flexibility to re- to resign uh, Marlon Humphrey when the time comes. Mm-hmm. And they, they have to get Ronnie Stanley signed. I think there's two players probably have to go. Well, probably three. If you decide you, you're going to sign Marcus Peters, you're probably going to lose Brandon Pierce. I don't. I sorry, Michael Pierce. They're, they're not going to be able to keep him. 
they probably would have to let Judon go, and and they probably would have to let Jefferson go. I think realistically they can only keep one of three of Peters, Judon, and Pierce as it will come down. Yeah, because you have to figure Stanley's going to have a top contract for mm-hmm. a tackle. Humphrey's going to have a top contract for a corner. So that that kind of leaves you, you know, in no man's land. Like, who do you pay? Do you want to pay the the cornerback or do you want to pay the pass rusher? So it'll be an it'll be interesting to see who they actually choose. Yeah. All right. Um, I, despite the lack of sacks, it seems like opposing quarterbacks get the ball out quick or move from the pocket frequently against the Ravens D. Any idea how the ball out quick numbers uh, look for Ra- Raven opponents compared to the league averages? Oh, I don't have it compared to the league averages. I, I keep a ball out quick stat uh, that is in between an ample time and space and a pressure. So okay. I can just tell you in this game how many they had. And I'll look on my score sheet. It'll take me a moment here. Now, this this game, it felt like Russell Wilson held the ball a lot more than what the Ravens yes. had been dealing with. Yeah, so he had ample time space, 22 out of 42. Seven out of 42 were ball out quick, and 13 were pressures. Okay. All right. That Dalton, I think, might have had 12 ball out quicks last week. So Dalton was very concerned about getting sacked with the state of the Bengals line. And he was they, their entire offense was built around getting that ball out quickly. Uh, okay. And again, that'll be another big test in two weeks with the Patriots and Tom Brady, who gets the ball out pretty quick when he has to. Yep. So. All right. Well, uh, that was another great episode of uh, Film Study. Chris, thank you for joining us. Um, Let everyone know. Thank you guys for having me. Of course, let everyone know how they can follow you on Twitter. Uh, You can follow me at Chris Just Joking on Twitter. Uh, I'll be there. You have any questions, you want to talk, I'll be happy to talk and, you know, answer any questions that you have. Pleasure to have you on, Chris. We'd love to have you again sometime. Maybe would you be? Would you like to talk about the defense again, or would you like to move over to the offense the next time you're on? You can have your pick. Oh, when, oh, whenever you guys want to have me on, we could talk special teams. It doesn't matter. All right, all right, fantastic. We really appreciate you taking the time, especially on short notice, to do this show with us. Uh, thanks a ton, Chris. Oh, uh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right, and Ken, uh, tomorrow we're gonna break. Down, you're gonna break down the offense, which I'm sure mm-hmm. everyone's excited to talk about. Who's join? Who's joining for that show? We have- Tim Barbalace from 105.7. He's uh, He does a, a section on the pregame show. He's also a, a producer over there. Very knowledgeable football guy. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. All right. That sounds great. And the article is over up on filmstudybaltimore.com uh, right. right now. So defense article is up. We've done the offensive line scoring tonight. The offensive line article will be up. Uh, we're trying to decide now if we want to do that tomorrow or perhaps wait till Wednesday and give people a chance to that, listen to the podcast first to get the news first and hopefully get some people interested in the podcast, a few more people in, interested in subscribing to it. So uh, anyway, we'll do that this week. We've got other things to uh, to, to add. This, this off week, we're going to have Brian McFarlane on twice if we get our way on this to record an episode of Roster Evaluation for the offense and defense separately. So that ought to be a lot of fun at the bye week, reevaluating who the Ravens have and where they fit in those five categories. All right, that's great. It's fun to see uh, the film study name grow and the podcast grow. Make sure you are telling people about 
uh, filmstudybaltimore.com and sharing that online as well as the same with the podcast and going over to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast and uh, rate and review. That helps uh, other people then find the show. All right, guys. Well, we will talk soon. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.